Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. We're going to cover some ground tonight, and as we are in what is called uh, by some theologians the grand interlude, this is the, the period of time uh, between the two portions of Isaiah. There's, there's kind of the portion that's the Old Testament history, and then we move on to the New Testament truths that are buried in Isaiah, and we're in the middle of that, and so we want to try and uh, speed our way along. It's all important, but it is all really painting a singular picture. So we're going to cover chapter 33 and 34 tonight. So turn in your Bibles, Isaiah 34, and it ties in, and you can see how this is kind of a singular subject. Last week we met the real Lion King, this week we meet the Deliverer. And our country needs the Deliverer right now. We, we need the Lord to come and rescue us. Uh, with all that is going on, and I want to take time to pray that the Lord would step into our reality and cause the church to be the agent of change, the agent uh, of unity, the agent of God's love, the bearer of truth, the uniter of brothers and sisters, the, the gatherer together of the body of Christ, which is, according to Scripture, made of every tribe and tongue and nation, it's beautiful, it's multicultural, it's made up of all of us. It, it doesn't have a color. Uh, it, it is in that sense colorblind as far as scripture is concerned. We are just his kids. And we want the God of heaven to make that a reality. And so would you join me? We'll pray and we'll pick up here in verse 1 of chapter 33 of the prophecy of Isaiah. Father, our hearts are broken. Lord, our hearts are, are broken at the loss of life. Lord, we, we think of all that's going on in our nation right now. And we think of Jacob Blake. And we also think of Anthony Huber and Joseph Rosenstein and the parents of these children. Lord, these young people that their lives have been lost this week to violence. Lord, we know that you, Jesus, said that hatred is, is akin to murder. And Lord, our, our country is overwhelmed right now with problems that are bringing forth violence and hatred. And we would just ask God that we who know the truth, we who know what the answer is, we who have capability and capacity to be hands of love, Lord, would reach out and do good works, Lord, we wouldn't be satisfied I was sitting on the sidelines, but we would jump in. Lord, encourage us on how we can grab a hand, put an arm around a brother or a sister, engage in works that are fitting of you, Jesus, to bring about real change and to bring about real hope. Lord, a lot of this country is hopeless. Talk to so many today that have just echoed that pain of heart and that hopelessness at the loss uh, of yet another black man, Lord. That's wrong. 
all the violence is wrong. And it isn't you. And so we pray, God, move in this place by your spirit. Protect the innocent, Lord. Watch over those who are protecting us even right now. Lord, show us favor as we turn our eyes to heaven, as we look to you, the author and finisher of our faith, as we recognize the one body that we all belong to. Please, Father God, heal us. Cause us to be like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah now turns his attention for a moment to the present situation. And I think that's appropriate because we're really going to jump over a whole bunch of millennia to a time that is yet future for a vast majority of our time tonight. But Jerusalem is going to be delivered. But it's going to be delivered when it turns to the Lord and not before. The tribe of Judah is going to once again experience the goodness of the Lord, but is only going to do that when it turns its heart to the Lord. The answer is not in this world. The answer is not of this world. The answer is God in heaven. The answer is a relationship with Jesus Christ. People say, well, that's too simple. No, it's not too simple. And let me tell you why. Because unless the heart is changed, then the mind remains unredeemed, and an unredeemed mind will do what the flesh dictates. It is a matter of salvation to put into practice when there's real change. And so it is that position that we now find the children of Israel, the remnant, the tribe of Judah, as they're surrounded by their enemy, Assyria. Verse 1, chapter 33, Woe to you who plunder, though you've not been plundered yourself. You who deal treacherously, though they have not dealt treacherously with you. God hates people being taken advantage of, period. In every way that that can be done, God hates treachery. That word treachery is interesting because the original language here means lying in wait. There's a nefariousness to it. There's a heart that's wicked that underlies it. And so what's happening here with the Assyrians is who they are is becoming a reality in the present day because internally they are treacherous. They're lying in wait. They're looking for something to do that harms others. And then he goes on to say, when you cease plundering, you will be plundered. When you make an end of dealing treacherously, they will deal treacherously with you. And so God's saying, look, I'm not missing any of this. Let me speak to you for a moment on that. God is not missing any of this. He's not missing any of the injustice, wherever it may lay. I had a conversation with a professor on the East Coast today, and as I was speaking to him, we were kind of going back and forth, and you know, I said, well, what do you think we need to do? What is, it, what is it that we can do? How should we approach this issue? And we shared a couple of thoughts back and forth, and you know, at the end of the day, 
It is going to be we who really care grabbing the hand of someone and being willing to carry them across the finish line of our problems. It's going to be us gathering together to accomplish these things. God will take care of the treachery. Make no mistake about it. God will repay, says the Lord. He's the one who is responsible for, for taking care of the punishment should it need to be meted out. And we're going to see that in very great measure in a lot of what we'll study tonight. But we who are in Jerusalem, we who are God's kids in God's city, we who know the Lord, we're, we're sequestered, if you will, in his house, must turn to the Lord. We will never accomplish what needs to be done with the arm of flesh. It can't happen. I personally vacillated between wanting to cry and wanting to scream today. Wanting to yell and wanting to hug somebody. And I think a lot of the world feels that way right now. A lot of America feels that way right now. A lot of communities feel that way. Broken communities. People who've lost everything. People who've lost their children. Which is losing everything to those of us who are parents. We'd rather lose the other stuff than our children. That's every parent. And so I just simply want to say to you, God can fix this. But we have to turn to him to fix it. We cannot do it with the arm of flesh. It didn't work for Israel, and it won't work for us. The Assyrians were a very seriously treacherous people. And the reason we know that is they were absolutely the ancient world's best chroniclers of their deeds. And so we have tens of thousands of pieces of information in the form of cylinders and obelisks and tablets and prisms and wall art telling us what they did. And if you talk treachery, these people probably set the standard for the entire world. Rome held nothing on the Assyrians. The things that they did, chronicled on things like the black obelisk and the Nabonidus cylinder, Sinasherib's prism, these things that you can go visit, uh, many of them in the London Museum. Some of them here in the U.S., they travel on exhibit. They've been at the Getty Villa. You can go and look at the translation of what happened. Uh, they were internally wicked. And so history records that, and we have that recorded for us, so we know what the Jewish people were facing. And I think the reason that's important to us as this story progresses throughout the evening is that we are not the first people to face an enemy that looks like it can't be defeated. We're not the first. I felt, I felt personally hopeless in my words. I did not know what to say. And, and bear in mind, pastors kind of get paid to speak. We get paid to think. If you want to look at it in a, in a vocational way, it's like I study and I write notes and then I try and articulate this. I found myself without words. But I was not without God. And I was not without power. 
And I was not without purpose. I was not without protection. God is still able. And the children of Israel teach us this lesson. And so this is really what could be considered the sixth woe here in Isaiah's prophecy. And so he speaks to the, in essence, the the Assyrians. And he's saying to them, look, Israel tried to, to pay for an army. Israel tried to buy their way out of this. Your king's going to break that agreement, but God's going to take care of you. God is the redeemer of the just, and he is the punisher of the unjust. That's how he works. And he never fails to do what's right. In unbelief, King Hezekiah tried to buy off the Assyrians. You can read that story there in 2 Kings 18. But what we have here, as we continue in chapter 33, is the children of Israel who were righteous, who trusted the Lord, they begin to do what I think the church needs to do in America. And that's spend a whole lot of time on our knees praying. Verse 2, O Lord, this is my prayer, O Lord, God in heaven, Father above, please be gracious to us. Pour out unmerited favor on us. One of the most beautiful things of God's character, his nature, is his graciousness. That he does not give us what we deserve. Instead, he gives us what we do not deserve. He's merciful and he's gracious. God be gracious to us. They understood the character of God. We have waited for you. Be their arm in the morning. When you can't get out of bed and someone offers you a help up, you know, as, as we age, you know, we love to go to bed. We just hate to get up, right? You know, the morning comes and you're like, well, I'll just roll onto the floor. Maybe the dog will help me get up. And they're basically saying, Lord, we've waited for you. Be the arm in the morning, our salvation in time of trouble. There is no salvation ever, and especially in a time of trouble, save the Lord. At the noise of the tumult, in other words, the boisterousness of the armies gathered around us, man, does anybody else feel like all the news is bad news? Anybody else feel like you don't even want to turn on the television, you don't want to look at your cell phone, you don't want to read your news feed because there's nothing you're going to see except bad news? Someone else has died. Someone else has been senselessly murdered. Someone else has lost a child. And I'm speaking of all parents who've lost their children. Especially communities of color. We, we who are white need to look at this from a perspective of understanding This is not a new problem. And it does not have a new answer. The old answer is still the answer. It is love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and every last neighbor as yourself. That's why there's some good news in that bad news. 
when you see people holding hands and hugging and cooking brats on a grill and ribs and talking to each other and speaking in the midst of the chaos or some type of work that God is doing. People shall flee. When you lift yourself up, the nations will be scattered. In other words, when God stands upright, this is a, this is a mental picture for us. It's as if God was kneeling and God was staying low, kind of staying out of view, and all of a sudden God stood up and everybody went, uh-oh, it's him. Are you going to be that agent? Are you going to be the visible representation of God standing up? Are you going to raise up the banner? Are you going to raise up the Lord Most High so that the world says, we better knock this off right now. And you plunder and shall be gathered. Like the gathering of a caterpillar is running to and fro of locusts, shall run upon them. Basically the Lord is saying, look, when I get done taking care of the enemy, they're going to be skittering around like bugs. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high, and he has filled Zion with justice and righteousness. Both the heavenly Zion and the earthly Zion, he's saying, look, the righteousness that's in you right now is me. Wisdom and knowledge shall be stability of your times. Where does that come from, folks? Wisdom and knowledge comes from the Lord. That's where real wisdom comes from. That's why probably some of you are watching the political conventions and you're going, man, does anybody have any wisdom? This is nonsense. This is meaningless. In light of the things we face, these things mean nothing. Are we really going to sit and argue? Shout each other down? Is that, that, no, it's not wisdom. And it's not from on high. Not saying that everyone who's spoken hasn't had any wisdom. But wisdom from on high, you can spot that as a believer because the Spirit bears witness to it. And the strength of salvation, the fear of the Lord is his treasure. The person that's walking with the Lord has these things. The person who doesn't, doesn't. Surely their valiant ones will cry outside. Their ambassadors of peace will weep bitterly and the highways will lay waste and the traveling man will cease for he has broken the covenant. He's despised the city and he regards no man. God's saying, look, these guys will get theirs. You see, unbelief looks for human resources for help and faith looks to God. The children of Israel under the Assyrian invasion, it looked grim. It looked hopeless. Except for God. Notice verse 10. This is not except for a wise plan from Hezekiah. This is not except for, well, we stored some secret weapons underneath Jerusalem. Not except for, we've got a big bank account. Not except for, we've got a large army. The except for when God raises himself up in a situation, he wins. Period. Period. 
God is always the place to turn when things look grim. Always. There is no other place to turn save him. I've been on this earth long enough to, to look at our country and, you know, we were joking in my office a couple of days ago and we were talking about, you know, when my dad was first in the aerospace industry and um, all airliners were prop planes. Most people could never afford to fly in a plane. It was a big deal if you went somewhere in a plane. And now it's 49 bucks to go to San Francisco on Southwest. You know, it's like, it's like a bus in the sky. Our world has changed, but our God has not changed. Amen? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't forget that. He changes not, says the Lord. That's who he is. And so this deliverance that's going to come is going to bring God glory, great glory. The treacherous people had nothing on God. Verse 14. And notice verse 14 is the lost, and verse 15 is the righteous. And so there's a contrast here. The sinners of Zion are afraid. Fearlessness has seized the, the, the hypocrites, or excuse me, fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell in the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell in the everlasting burning? When you come up against God, you're coming up an insurmountable force. And what he says goes. He never loses. People think because of what's going on right now that somehow, you know, God may have left the building. You know, this is like an Elvis moment for God. Elvis has left the building. No, Elvis has not left the building. God has not left the building. He's still in the building. Matter of fact, the building is his building. The earth and the fullness of it is the Lord's. Verse 15, And he who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, he who despises the gain of oppressions, who gestures with his hands and refuses bribes. Maybe some of our political leaders ought to read this. This is a contrast between righteous people and unrighteous people. Righteous people refuse bribes. Righteous people refuse to oppress other people. He who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed. People that step in the gap when other people are being oppressed and harmed. That's what righteous people do. He shuts his eyes from seeing evil. He won't look upon the things that are not pleasing to the Lord. And certainly doesn't rejoice in them. For he will dwell on high. His place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. And bread will be given him. And his water will be sure. You see the contrast between those two lives. One is the Lord's hand upon you. And the other is the Lord's hand against you. It's very easy to see. God is a consuming fire. We can't lose the point here. The crazy thing is, the same fire that consumes refines, amen? If you're here right now and you're going through a time of trial, that time of trial to the child of God is not to harm you, it's to refine you. It's to burn the dross out of your life. 
It's to motivate you to be more like the king. To bring forth kingdom things. There's forgiveness with you, O Lord. That your might may be feared. That's how the psalmist David put it in the 130th Psalm. The destruction of the Assyrians in this present sense was going to speak into the life of the Jewish people of exactly how powerful God was and exactly how little the world has to offer. Because if you were to be in Jerusalem at this time, you would have looked at the Assyrians and most people would have said, what do I need to do to dress like an Assyrian? That would have been your human response. You would have said, give me an Assyrian uniform. Because they're winning right now. Church, beware. Because the enemy right now is trying to convince the church to back off, back down, and back away from the fight and put on the enemy's uniform. And we cannot do it. We have to stand strong. We have to trust the Lord. When the writer of Hebrews said God is a consuming fire, in chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews talks about willingly sinning against the light. In other words, we, we know the truth. We, we would gain that fiery indignation of the Lord. We don't want that. But Peter would go on and remind us that that same consuming fire does these wonderful things in our lives. It's, it's not a strange thing. It's a normal thing. Matter of fact, it can be a beautiful thing. But there's nobody here tonight, and I myself included, that doesn't have some hang-ups. Amen? Amen? We got some hang-ups. We got some things we don't know. We got some things we can't do. We got some things we do do that we shouldn't do. We got hang-ups. We have hang-ups. God's bigger than your hang-ups. But sometimes he may want to burn some of those hang-ups right out of your life. And, and he puts you through some stuff to where you stop resting and trusting in the things that you think you know and you start resting in the king. Trusting in the king. There is a purpose in every test and every trial. God has a purpose. How many things, church, work together for the good to those who love God? All things, amen? Is there anything excluded from all? The answer is no. If you don't know that, you know that now. That's why Paul wrote it in the 8th chapter of the book of Romans in verse 28. That's why he wrote that promise. It's a promise. All things. Everything. Every fiery trial is a thing that's in all things. Amen? So don't think it's strange. That's what Peter said, that you go through fiery trials. Because all things work together to the good for those who love God and are the called according to his purposes, plural. The things that God wants to do in our lives. If you're in the fire right now, doesn't necessarily mean that God is displeased with you. He might be very pleased with you. And you're in the fire right now because he has bigger business to do with your life. And some of you are going, well, I don't want bigger business. I just want the fire put out. God's too wise for that. He loves you too much to put out the fire when he knows the fire is for your good. And so the fire may burn a while longer. 
Don't despise the fire. Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, for the chastening of the Lord comes to those whom he loves. This is how we live when we trust Jesus. And when I trust Jesus, I'm not consumed by the fire. I'm refined by the fire. We finally meet this delivering king. He switches to the the future time when Jerusalem is ruled by Messiah. The mighty deliverer comes, and and honestly, church, I can't wait. I can't wait. I, I really can't wait for the king to come. I can't wait for the trumpet to sound. I can't wait to see the face of Jesus. But because I know so many people that do not know the Lord, I will wait. And I actually want to wait. I myself can't wait, but I also want to wait. It's this crazy thing that Paul mentions as he writes to the church at Corinth. For me, it's better that I go, (laughs) but for you, it's better that I stay. And that's all of us that love the Lord. There's a reason we're still here, and it's God's business. Don't, Don't look at your life as though it has no purpose. It has great purpose. The king of heaven is using you right where you are. And maybe your fire is burning hot and maybe you're closed or singed, but you'll not be consumed. So rest in him. Rest in him. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty, amen? They will see the land that is very far off. What land is that? (laughs) That's heaven. Isaiah has turned his attention to the very last days now. The king and his beauty. He's not talking about the king of Assyria. Certainly isn't talking about King Hezekiah. He's talking about the glory of the Lord. How do we know that? Your heart will meditate on terror. Where is the scribe? Where is the one who weighs? Where is he who counts? You will not see fierce people. Anybody waiting until we don't see fierce people? So when the whole world is overcome with the love of God... There's no more neighbor against neighbor. There's no more wars. And in fact, the swords have been changed into plowshares, which we'll see as we continue through our journey through the book of Isaiah. A people of obscure speech beyond perception of stammering tongue that you can't understand. They're going to be great. I don't know how many of you, you know, enjoy other languages. I do. I'm not fluent, but I speak several. And... And I know that there's times when it's like, man, there's a language barrier between me and that person. I want to be able to speak fluently, but my Spanish just isn't there. My German just isn't there. My Portuguese just isn't there. You know, and you stumble over it and you speak in Spanglish for a while. You know, it's like, I don't know what that word is, but I'll just say it in English. We'll, we'll get along somehow. One day that won't happen. We'll be able to speak to each other in a heavenly language that we all understand. Look upon Zion, the city of our appointed feasts, for your eyes will see Jerusalem, a quiet home. There is nothing quiet about Jerusalem. Jerusalem. There's nothing quiet about it. It is one noisy place. You think Vegas never sleeps. Jerusalem is way louder for 24 hours a day. There's stuff buzzing around constantly. The tabernacle that will not be taken down. You travel with us to Israel, you're going to notice something. There, there's no tabernacle in Jerusalem. 
A tabernacle is down, but there's going to come a day when there's going to be a tabernacle and it won't be taken down. It'll be the last one. Not one of its stakes will ever be removed, nor any of its cords broken. But there, the majestic Lord will be for us in a place of broad rivers and streams in which no galley or oars will sail, nor majestic ships pass by, For the Lord is judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, and he will save us. Now, so speaking of Jerusalem, Jesus is not Lord over Jerusalem right now. There are Christians in Jerusalem, there are people who know the Lord. There are Jewish people, believers, who know the Lord in Jerusalem. But it is anything but a city governed by God. They're not a people governed by God. Your tackle is loosed. They could not strengthen their mast, nor could they spread the sail. And the prey of the great plunder is divided. The lame shall take prey. In other words, there's going to come a point in time when everyone who was ever disadvantaged is going to be on the other side of the coin. They're the ones who are just going to go and take what they need. And people who dwell in it will be forgiven their iniquity. How are you forgiven your iniquity? By believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and asking for forgiveness. If you confess your sin, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So this is speaking of a national state of salvation. That is certainly not the case in Jerusalem now, and it has never been in its history. So this is future. God's great victory over Assyria is going to be a dress rehearsal for that final victory when God fights the battle of Armageddon in the valley of Jehoshaphat there outside of Jerusalem. The day of the Lord is coming, Zechariah said. Your spoil will be divided in your midst, for I will gather the nations together in battle against Jerusalem, and the city will be taken and the houses rifled, but a remnant of the people shall not be cut off. Zechariah saw it. Verse 3 of Zechariah 14 is such an encouraging verse. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. God has a plan. The Israelites, the Jewish people are going to see Messiah one day. The very truth that we find there in Romans chapter 11, verses 24 to 27. That one day all Israel will be saved. Church has not replaced Israel. And we'll dig into this more in a couple of weeks. God has a plan. God has a plan for us today. Jerusalem may have looked like a ship, and the, the inference here in this passage and the way it's linguistically structured is that Jerusalem was a ship that almost sank, but the Lord brought it through the storm. Sometimes we look at our lives here in America, we say, man, it's like, what's up with the church? I'm not speaking about you, I'm not speaking about us, I'm not speaking about any faithful Bible-teaching church, anywhere where the Lord's name is glorified. But so much of the church has abandoned the word. They've abandoned the gospel. And it's only the gospel that can save, and it's only the word that is true. And so if we're going to have this effect and bring this to pass, if we're going to see this, we're we're going to be ushering in what we would 
call as the rapture of the church, ultimately the tribulation, the second coming of the Lord, the battle of Armageddon, and finally the millennial reign of Christ. So church, we have some work to do. There's things we need to be busy about for our Father. No wonder the people are saying, He will save us. God's the only one that can. And you'll see why I kind of wanted to speed through chapter 34, because it is a parallel to the Battle of Armageddon that we find named in Revelation chapter 16 and seen visibly in Revelation 19. Verse 1, Isaiah 34, Come near you nations and hear heed you people. Let all of the earth hear and all that is in it for the world and all the things that come forth from it. So this is a message to the entirety of the earth. This is not a regional message. This isn't a message to just the Assyrians and the Jews. This is a message the way it is framed and stated to the entire world. The population of earth for the indignation, that word could also be translated wrath. The indignation of the Lord is against, again, all nations. And his fury is against all their armies. He's utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to slaughter. Their slain will be thrown out. The stench shall rise from their corpses. The mountains shall be melted with their blood, and the host of heaven shall be dissolved in the heavens. The heavens will be rolled up like a scroll, and their host shall fall down as a leaf falls from the vine and the fruit falling from a fig tree. Interesting, Jesus used that exact same metaphor in Matthew 24. The Olivet Discourse is his discourse on the last days. Joel uses the same metaphor in Joel chapter 2. As the Lord looks at the earth, the earth is storing up wrath right now. Mankind without Christ that's raising itself up against the Lord is also storing up God's wrath for a future time. Now the grace of God pushes the wrath of God back. The love of God restrains the wrath of God, the indignation of God. But make no mistake, God did not miss what the Assyrians did. God didn't miss what the Phoenicians did. God didn't miss what the Greeks did. Didn't miss what the Romans did. Didn't miss what the imperial British Empire did. Did not miss what happened here in our founding. Didn't happen to miss not one moment, not one person sold in slavery in this country did God miss. He didn't miss a one. He didn't miss the Holocaust. He did not miss when my ancestors were enslaved in this country. He did not miss what happened during the Manchurian Wars, the Boer Wars, the Boxer Rebellion. He didn't miss the Rwandan Genocide. He's not missed what the Hutus and the Tutsis have done to one another. He hasn't missed a single despot. 
He hasn't missed Stalin, Lenin, and Marx. And all that time, all that history, all of that was deserving of wrath. Every bit of it. But God, in his mercy, not giving us what we deserve, and in his grace, giving us instead what we do not deserve, has restrained himself during the age of grace. But one day, that time's going to be over. The church is going to be snatched away by force, raptured, harpazoed, carried away to heaven to meet the Lord in the air. And then God himself is going to set forth a series of plagues on this earth. The bold judgments, the scroll judgments, the trumpet judgments contained there, chapter 6 to chapter 19 of the book of Revelation. All these things poured out where Israel's ancient enemies and all the things that we've seen happen. You know, people always say, well, it's going to be this or it's going to be. I don't know what it's going to be. I just know that God's going to take care of it. He's going to pour out in perfect measure his indignation, his wrath on this earth, and you don't want to be here for that. And you don't want anybody you know to be here for that. I'm not sure exactly how God's going to do it, but we know that Revelation chapter 16 says much the same thing. It says here that this earth is going to go through catastrophic changes in, in its environment. The earth itself will be rolled up like a scroll. Fire will rain down on this earth. We're not talking about the space junk that was left from Halley's Comet that you know, we pass through every year and we call it the Perseid meteor shower. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about how a meteor struck the earth and created the Winslow meteor crater which was only a meteorite, by the way, probably 150 feet in diameter, but it released, when it hit at 40,000 miles an hour, about 20 million tons of TNT when it hit and blew a crater that's about a mile wide. Could hold 20 football stadiums inside of it. Now God, when he decides he's had enough, this world's going to come undone. But the good news is, is he doesn't want anybody to go through that. And so he sent Jesus, that the world through him might be saved. And even though the United States has created all kinds of laws that are against God, God is still gracious. When I hear people turning to our Constitution instead of the Lord, that's insane to me. That's insanity. You talk about turning to a lower court when the highest court in the universe is already judged on the matter. That's why when God speaks, that's what his people are supposed to do. The harmony of this passage with Revelation 16 is this, and the power will be given to the Son to scorch men who dwell upon the earth. And notice here it says, the host of heaven will be dissolved, the heavens will be rolled up. And then God tells us why, verse 5, chapter 34. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven, 
and indeed it will come down on Edom. And that bathing is the quenching. When a sword is made, one of the final steps, after it's been folded and hammered, shaped and sharpened, is that final quenching. When it's about ready for use, it's taken from the furnace, it's given one last blazing dip into the heat, and then it is quenched so that it is hard and it remains sharp. And that's the picture here. The sword of God, which we happen to know because we know that the word of God is the sword. Amen? So who do you think the sword is that's coming back that's sharp if Jesus is the word? Jesus is not only carrying the sword, he is the sword. So he's coming back. Exactly what we find in Revelation chapter 19. That Jesus comes back on a white horse, his name on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. Bearing that sword. Come down on Edom. That's one of Israel's most ancient enemies. Basra specifically, oddly enough, that means the place of harvest. The grape harvest. On the people of my curse. Well, who did God curse? Cursed are those who have cursed him. You're either for him or you were against him. He blesses those who bless him and he curses those who curse him. When you're against God, unfortunately, in the end, he's also going to be against you. And the good news is you don't have to be against God. You can change sides. I love this. God allows do-overs. Amen? Anyone that, that realizes they're on the wrong team and says, you know, I'm not happy with the team I'm on. Can I get a trade? Jesus steps into that gap and says, yes, you can. I'll take you. You can be on my team. You confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. You will be saved. You get to switch teams. You don't have to worry about this time. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It's made overflowing with fatness. The blood of lambs and goats, the fat of the kidneys of rams, for the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra. And so again, this ties directly to the book of Revelation. Because it is in Basra that the Lord comes with the sword as the blood rises up to the bridle of the horses. And a great slaughter in the land of Edom. The wild oxen shall come down. And by the way, this has never happened in human history. There's never been a great slaughter in Edom. Edom is the, is the land that also includes the Nabataeans, the Petra, the rock city. It's been constantly inhabited and uninhabited and left vacant, but it's never been taken. It's never been slaughtered. There's been no reason to do it, but there is now. Strangely enough, the Jordanian military has four military bases in the region of Basra. Their major military airfield with which they attack Israel is in the region of Basra. Young bulls, the mighty bulls, their land shall be soaked with blood, their dust shall be saturated with fatness. For it is in the day of the Lord's vengeance, the year of recompense for the cause, notice this, of Zion. Who's that? That's the Jewish people. That's Israel. 
It's specifically Mount Zion, specifically Jerusalem. We're told why and for what reason the Lord will eventually come. Joel, by the way, says exactly the same thing. And Joel would write several hundred years later. Its stream shall be turned to pitch, its dust shall be turned to brimstone, its land shall become burning pitch. God is speaking of the end of the armies of man. I was reading an article today, you know, the United States and China are going back and, back and forth. We typically, uh, as a matter of military protocol, do not send two carrier groups into any given region. The reason for that is that would be a catastrophe if we were to lose two carrier groups in one particular place. And so the Chinese, in response to that, launched what they effectively call their carrier killer missiles and plopped them into the South China Sea as a show of, show of force. And so the world is on edge right now. It's like, well, what would happen if that happened? What would happen is the whole world would be engulfed in war. Interestingly enough, the book of Revelation says that there will be a 200 million man army that's going to come from the east and the way will be paved where it would go through modern day Iraq. Strange. Those things are set now. They were not a possibility even 50 years ago. But China can field a 200 million man army. They're the only nation on earth that can. They're boasting in their armies. We boast in our armies. I'm not saying our armies are equivalent. I'm not saying our way of life and our governance is equivalent. I'm saying that God hates it when we kill each other. God's not a fan of war. Oh, it may in times be necessary. In fact, God encouraged the Jewish people to go to war for righteousness at times. And there are wars that have a meaning and purpose that could be used of the Lord. But in a general sense, God's not a fan of war. And when he comes to finish off war, he's coming to finish off the armies of the earth. It's like no more war, period. End of discussion, thus says the Lord. It's a pretty grim situation. Same ones you have, the same ones you have there in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. You can read it at your own leisure. But be prepared, it's not pretty. The grape, grape gathering will happen. There's an interesting picture here, and it, it, it is almost as if God is saying, Do you remember what I did to Sodom? It's like this is Sodom number two, verse nine, and its streams will be turned into pitch. It's dust to brimstone, and the land shall become burning pitch. There's actually a technical way that this could happen in the Middle East, because there are some places in the Middle East where the oil is so close to the surface, it actually sits on the surface. And I don't know whether this is the evidence of nuclear warfare in the Middle East, but it certainly could be. It's describing something that certainly Isaiah would have no way of identifying. When the Second World War ended, we dropped two nuclear devices on Japan. Most people don't realize 
There weren't just two planned. There were ten planned. The next target city was Tokyo. And after that, Kyoto. And after that, and after that, and after that, and after that. And what stunned the United States of America was that after the first bomb, the Japanese did not unconditionally surrender. So the second bomb was dropped. The second bomb was enough. You would think that after that terror, after that horror, after the loss of hundreds of thousands of lives by two bombs, that the world would say, you know, war is really not a great idea. But instead, what did we do? We doubled down, we tripled down. And now China, United States, and Russia have the capacity to destroy the entire earth many, many times over. God's not okay with that. This is his earth. He made it, he built it, he has the deed to it. And so he's going to come destroy all of the armies of the earth. There's going to come a point in time when no military is going to exist, and I can't wait. And that's not me being against uh, our incredible military forces that are largely being used for peaceful purposes around the globe. But that's saying, that's not the answer. The Prince of Peace is the answer. The King of Kings is the answer. The Lord of Lords is the answer. It's not more weapons. We may need those weapons right now, to defend ourselves. But one day God's going to say, those are obsolete, you don't need them anymore. Verse 10, it shall not be quenched day or night, its smoke shall ascend forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. No one shall pass through it forever and ever, but the pelican, the porcupine shall possess it, the owl, the raven shall dwell in it, it shall stretch out over it, and the line of confusion and the stones of emptiness they shall call its nobles to the kingdom, but there shall be none there. All its princes, but they will be nothing. The thorns shall come up in its palaces, the nettles and brambles in its fortresses. It shall be a habitation of jackals, a courtyard for ostriches, for wild beasts of the desert will meet there with the jackals, and the goat will bleat in its, its companion. A night creature shall rest there. It's interesting. In almost all of Arabic culture, they actually are the ones who invented what we call the boogeyman. There's this night spirit that screeches in the middle of the night that no one can see, no one can define. It just terrorizes everybody. God's basically saying, you know, all these crazy movies that people put together that are from the pit of hell, you're, you're not going to fear that anymore. Or you'll find herself a place of rest, the arrow snake. It's a viper. She'll make her nest and lay her eggs and hatch and gather them under her shadow. The hawks will be gathered and everyone with her mate. Search from the book of the Lord and read, not one of these shall fail. Not one will lack her mate. Why? For God's mouth has commanded it. His spirit has gathered them. He has cast lot for them, and his hand has divided it among them with a measuring line, and they shall possess it forever from generation to generation, and they shall dwell in it. 
as speaking of that final day when God says, it's done. It's over. No more struggle, no more pain, no more sorrow. That time's coming. And you might be asking yourself as we close, why is God waiting? Why is God waiting? Let me give you the really short answer. Because he loves us. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says that God is long-suffering towards us. In other words, he suffers a very, very, very long time. Right now, 2,000 years almost. Since Jesus died on a cross. 2,000 years, God has been long-suffering towards man. And Peter understood this. He said, God is not willing that any should perish. God doesn't want anyone to perish. Nobody. But that all should come to repentance. Why is God waiting? Because he loves us. Why is the gospel so important? Because it is only at the name of Jesus that anyone can be saved. He's the only way, the only truth, the only life, and no one comes to the Father but by Him. Why is God waiting? Because this is a huge family, and He wants it to get bigger. He doesn't want anybody on the outside. He wants everyone on the inside. Why is God waiting? So that people can take out the book and read it. It's exactly what Isaiah said. Pull out the book, read it. It's going to come true. What it says will happen. It's one of the reasons these passages are so important, as we'll see as we conclude this particular part Uh, of the book of Isaiah as we look at what God has told us in advance. But also make no mistake, the age of grace will not last forever. So tell everyone you know about the grace of God and do it now before it's too late. Because I don't know when the king's coming. Nobody does. I don't know when God's going to say, that's it, time's up. No one knows the day or the hour when the Son of Man comes. We only know the times and seasons. And when I look at the world, the times and the seasons are here. We've been in them for a little while. Israel's back in, in their land. They speak their own language. God has seen to it that Many of those things that Ezekiel foresaw have already come to pass. The dry bones have been raised. There's sinew, there's skin, there's muscle in the nation Israel. And so turn to the Lord. That's where we have to go right now. I don't want anybody to be here during that time. Theologically, I can't You know, I can't state that I can tell you it's going to happen. 
But it'd be really, really nice if there were only eight people left on the earth to go through the tribulation. Now, I personally can't see that happening because of what the Bible says about the numbers that are there. But our goal should be nobody's left on this earth. That there isn't anybody left to save. That the kingdom comes and his will is done. And we are all family when this happens. We got some work to do. And so let's tell people about the king. Amen? Amen. Would you stand and we'll pray together. You're here tonight, you don't know Jesus. You haven't asked him, you haven't invited him into your life. You, you don't know him personally. Church membership is not how that happens. Kingdom membership is how that happens. It's knowing Jesus personally. If you're here tonight and you, you've never asked Christ into your life, you need to do that tonight. We're going to pray right now and you can do this right now. And if you pray this prayer, simply come to one of the doors, meet one of the elders, one of the pastors, come up front and tell me and we'll get you hooked up, we'll get you settled in, we'll get you plugged in. We have our discipleship training uh, starting next week. Our New Believers class is also starting soon. So it's simple. Confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you'll be saved. What that means is you believe that he's God's own son. You believe that he died on Calvary's cross for your sin. You believe that the only way that you can be saved is to know him personally and you invite him to be your Lord and Savior. It's that simple. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what Romans 10, 13 says. is isn't about a process. It's about a person. So let's pray. Father, I want to pray right now if there's anyone that's watching online, anyone here tonight, and their hearts cry right now is to know you personally, that they would simply, quietly in their hearts say, Lord, I'm a sinner, and I know you're the Savior. And I'm inviting you to come into my life and be my Lord, be my Savior. I'm trusting you with my eternity. I'm asking you to forgive my sin, to write my name in the Lamb's book of life. Lord, change me. For those of us who know you, who've made that commitment, God, we offer our lives again to you, as the Apostle Paul said, in Romans chapter 12, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, our reasonable service to you, God. Use us in these days which seem darkened by sin. Lord, make us light. Cause us to be salt, to savor this earth with your goodness. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.